All financial advice provided on this show is for entertainment and educational purposes only. The financial ideas and strategies discussed are only provided as a starting point for a conversation about money matters. With regard to your particular investments and financial strategies, consult your financial planner, CPA, or investment professional. All your financial decisions are yours and yours alone to make and subsequently are solely your responsibility. The information that is supplied through the context of the radio program and any repurposing of its content by the host or network is a combination and collection of solid financial investment understanding, opinion, and comments. This network, show, and its host are not liable for financial strategies, outcomes that you employ in any manner that result in any kind of loss. Shares of corporate sponsors may be the subject of buy or sell recommendations in Jay Taylor's newsletter in accordance with Jay's objective opinion. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. This hour will help investors fix issues and achieve personal gain. Now, here's your host, Jay Taylor. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, talking to you from New York City on this, the second day of November 2021. I want to thank each of you for listening to this show, making it one of the more popular shows in the Voice America Business Channel. Also, encourage you to send along whatever comments you have about this show to questions for Taylor at gmail.com. Questions the number four, Taylor at gmail.com. We do want to thank our sponsors for making this show economically viable. Sponsors for today's show, Novo Resources, Eloro Resources, Hand and Metals, Labrador Gold Corp., Lion One Metals, SK Mining Corp., and Firefox Gold. Before I begin talking about today's show, I want to remind you that on November 12th and 13th, the Metals Investor Forum is meeting in person in Vancouver for the first time since the breakout of the COVID-19 pandemic. To attend this two-day event in Vancouver, which is free of charge, go to the Metals Investor Forum website, that's metalsinvestorforum.com, and simply submit your name and email. Uh, This event will also be available to you virtually as it was during the pandemic. But again, to access it virtually or to attend in person, you need uh, to go to metalsinvestorforum.com to sign up. I've titled today's show, The Most Undervalued Equity Market Sector. Well, surprisingly, that's gold and silver miners. John Rabino, Gwen Preston, and Eric Coffin are returning today. And just this morning, Dr. Quentin Henning agreed to come on the show today to talk about a couple very exciting drill results. Drill results for a couple of very exciting companies, I should say, namely Lion One Metals and El Oro Resources. Both of those, of course, are sponsors to this show. So Quentin will be with me in just a couple of minutes from now uh, to give us an update on what these latest drill results mean. For the first time since the 1970s, wage inflation is just beginning to spiral upwards as supply chain problems, pandemic lockdowns, as well as guaranteed income and all manner of other socialist stay-at-home programs are serving to boost the leverage of labor in America, not seen since the 1970s. After the 1970s, the ruling elite decided they could break the backs of labor through globalization and offshoring higher-priced jobs to Mexico, China, or other third-world countries. But now all that is changing at this time. Hourly wages are surging higher, and as John Rubino will note in the second half of today's show, we are seeing a huge number of worker strikes and work stoppages across the country. If I'm right in believing that the cost of living is just starting to rise, and that unlike the 19, uh, that unlike in 1980, the Fed will be unable to allow rates to rise to market levels, but will instead add monetary fuel to the fires of inflation, 
then rising inflation will likely provide an excuse for labor to ask for still more higher wages, potentially leading to a spiraling of inflation, even something more akin to hyperinflation. Those and related topics, again, we'll be discussing with John Rubino. Uh, And also, we'll talk to John a little bit about the gold and silver mining industry, which is really doing well. We're not seeing it in the share prices necessarily, but we're seeing it in the balance sheets and the income statements of the gold and silver producers. So we'll be talking to John about that in the second half of today's show. And uh, right after our first commercial break, uh, I will be uh, speaking with Eric Coffin and Gwen Preston, who will be joining me and other newsletter writers at the Metals Investor Forum, uh, and they'll be with me in just a few minutes after our first commercial break. Both Eric and Gwen will, uh, they always have some, I think, very valuable insights about the markets, and they have always some interesting companies that they're following, so I hope you'll stick around to hear what they have to say right after uh, we go to break. But right now, I'm really happy to tell you that Quentin Henning is with me uh, to talk about Lion One Mines and El Oro Resources. Thanks for joining me, Quentin. Always a pleasure, Jay. Really good to have you, and thank you so much on such short notice uh, for being available to us. Lion One Metals, um, they had a market cap around $134 million in U.S. money, selling at a mere $0.86 cents earlier this morning, and I made sure after I saw the news release that I added a few shares to my portfolio. The headline number announced... Uh, in the news this morning was 33.4 grams of gold over 3.9 meters coming from that company's Alkaline Gold Project, which you are really uh, have been an advisor to the company on. Uh, but what can you tell us about these latest results and just sort of give us an overview of the of the project in general, if you would? Certainly. Look, uh, the Tuvati Project is in Fiji. It's uh, part of the you know, the circum-Pacific ring of fire, as they say, uh, it is a gold deposit that's generated by uh, magmatism, you know, volcanism that occurred about four million years ago. Uh, and in particular, the volcanism here, the, the magmas had a lot of alkaline metal dissolved in them, and these alkaline-rich magmas tend to carry a lot of gold. So when they come up and they start to cool and solidify, they and they expel the the fluids during the late stages, the waning stages of emplacement. They they inject those fluids up into cracks and fissures in the ground above and can produce some very very high grade gold deposits. This is really one of uh, several that are found around this region. You've got uh, Vaticola, which is nearby, is about a seven million ounce mine deposit. Uh, you got uh, the Porger deposit over in New Guinea, very similar. Lahir, very similar. Uh, these are these are just gems when it comes to to gold endowment. And they have a pretty good um, resource, and they're planning to go into production at some point uh, here. I think they're working on it. They're actually doing some drilling from underground and preparing, I think, uh, for for mining at least for test mining. Uh, but as I understand it, Quentin, this these are deeper, higher grade. Uh, holes, and in fact, I think the company gave an estimate of of an increase in resources, something like twenty five percent. Maybe it's early, too early to say that for sure. But uh, is it getting richer? And would you expect that at depth here? Yeah, just to, to clarify a bit. Look, the existing resource uh, extends from surface down, maybe about four hundred meters below surface. Uh-huh. And these drill holes that have been uh, drilled here recently, starting back in July of twenty twenty. Uh, are targeting uh, a much higher grade feeder structure uh, below the existing resource. So this new drilling 
uh, has not been included in an updated resource, but it is very exciting to see. If you look, uh, you know, they've extended gold down, I believe, 720 meters below surface at this point, which basically extends the deposit something like 53% uh, greater depth than, than previously. Uh, you know, that's a great outcome. They're seeing higher grades in this area. So you're seeing a weighted average grade, about 23 grams per ton in this lower high-grade mineralization. You know, it, it's it's exciting because this is just the beginning. I think there's going to be other structures down there, but, uh, you know, they're very focused on what they call this 500 structure, which is turning into a real gem. And And these kind of structures can uh, make a huge difference once it goes time for mining. You know, if they were to access this, uh, you know, think about those kind of grades. There's very few mines on the planet that uh, have have that kind of grade. And these things can extend to considerably considerable depth below that uh, current level of drilling. Yes, uh, alkaline systems such as this are known to go down. You know, twelve, fifteen hundred meters easily. Uh, right now, they're about half that distance. So uh, I think the thing is warming up as it's going down, and that the best indication for that is coming from the grade that we see in this structure. Again, 23 grams per ton weighted average is is considerably higher. It's almost three times higher than the resource grade above. And there are also uh, some other surface targets that are part of this same system, presumably, right? That's correct. Uh, the company does have one of its drills operating on new targets around the Navalawa caldera. Uh, they've dr- they've been drilling at Banana Creek, which is about three and a half kilometers northeast of the Tuvatu resource. Now they're uh, drilling in an area between Banana Creek and Tuvatu. Uh, there will be you know some uh, news around those drill holes over the next few months. Interestingly, the company has increased its activity. It's got six rigs operating, but it's also doing underground sampling and stuff. And they're also doing a resampling program of historic core. So funny enough, they are seeing uh, a huge inflow of samples right now. The lab has a backlog of about 3,000 samples. It is in the <laughs> lab, but, uh, you know, it's it's a good thing because they have a lot of a lot of good results in the queue. Yeah, they have an on, on-site lab. That's correct. Yep. Yeah. All right. So they're not held back like a lot of other com- companies. Well, that's a gold story. And I know that you've been very bullish on this project, uh, this alkaline deposit. You've identifi- identified it as such and have noted that these things can get to be real world-class deposits. We have to see what happens. But certainly the news that came out today is very, very positive. Uh, okay. Let's talk about El Oro Resources, a market cap of $188 million in U.S. money. Uh, today, uh, and they announced drill results into the, uh, there's a, a series of these breccia pipes that are mineralized with uh, silver tin polymetallics, but uh, but heavy in silver and tin, very unique deposit, and very, very large with a whole number of these breccia pipes, and they talked today about the Santa Barbara breccia pipe, uh, as well as the central breccia pipe, but the headline number was 100 grams of silver equivalent over 188.5 meters, from the Santa Barbara pipe. Give us an update on on this project, if you would, Quentin, in a couple of minutes. Yes, look, uh, the company has identified what is likely going to end up being a world-class silver tin polymetallic deposit, much like the Potosi deposit, which is a, a few tens of kilometers north of here. Okay, this region in Bolivia is known for these deposits. There, It's unusual to see such high silver tin and other metals all combined together. But these are just absolutely hands down world class deposits. 
the results today out of the Santa Barbara Breccia pipe, uh, the, the hole that was released uh, is from their resource target area that they've mm-hmm. uh, set their sights on. They're, they're basically going to drill uh, an initial resource in, in and around the Santa Barbara pipe that is in an area that I believe now is about two kilometers long from north to south and about uh, 600 meters, five or 600 meters wide and about 600 meters deep. It's exciting to see continued results like this. I mean, think about 100 gram silver equivalent amounts to, you know, in gold terms, say, is about 1.35, 1.4 gram gold equivalent. Well, mm-hmm. this is a 188 meter intercept. That, mm-hmm. you know, these are crazy kind of numbers. Like, there's a lot of dollar value in this rock. Uh, now, they did also have results from the central breccia pipe. They're, they've uh, decided to, to they've, they've done drilling in central breccia, but they've decided to focus the initial resource where they have the most drilling in Santa Barbara. But nonetheless, central also delivered some results, mainly higher tin values. Uh, the central breccia is clearly shaping up to be a tin, a high tin porphyry. Uh, type system. So they have, you know, uh, I believe there was like 12 meters of uh, 0.55% tin or something, which is wow. great because, you know, this this is really one of the first primary tin discoveries on planet Earth in many, many years. So this could be a very important deposit as tin prices are clearly going to remain elevated for the foreseeable future. I think tin is trading close to uh, $40,000 a metric ton right now. Wow. It's an amazing discovery. They're, they're steadily seeing results come through like this. Uh, Bill Pearson said recently that they're going to include drill holes through November, I believe now, to encompass that bigger area and their initial target. Uh, it will take a bit of time to get all, all the assays back and then establish a resource. But I would say sometime next year, I don't know if it's Q1 or Q2, but they should have a uh, what I think will be a very robust uh, resource around this exciting story. Well, I'd like to talk to you sometime about the tin markets because it's something I'm not that familiar with. I guess I need to do a bit of research on it since it's becoming such an important part of this project. But I I did my dissertation on tin, of all things. <laughs> well, then I guess we can just go to, to you then, perhaps, and uh, for a fee, I suppose. But, no. Uh, <laughs> no, I, I, I'm only kidding. But you cer- certainly deserve um, uh, fees for all the work you do and want to thank you very much on such short notice for being available to us today. Quentin, thank you. It's, it's very, very important to our listeners, so thank you very much. Anytime. All right, folks, we do have to go to break now, but don't go away because Gwen Preston and Eric Coffin will be with me, talk about some of their top exploration stories uh, and what their thoughts are about the precious metals market. So don't go away. We'll be right back. Firefox Gold is actively exploring in Finland, where recent discoveries have sparked a new gold rush. Firefox controls a major portion of a prospective gold belt, giving the company a distinct advantage for exploration and strategic partnerships. The company's strong international leadership team, combined with its Finland-based exploration specialists, will put Firefox on the crest of the coming wave of gold discoveries. Firefox Gold trades on the TSX Venture Exchange under the symbol FFOX. Go to firefoxgold.com to subscribe for updates. 
SK Mining Corp. Trading under the symbol ESK on the TSX Venture and ESKYF on the OTCQB is a mineral exploration company targeting precious metals, rich VMS deposits in the heart of British Columbia's Golden Triangle. SK Mining controls a prospective land package totaling 130,000 acres, which lies across a geologic trend that once hosted the prolific SK Creek Mine. With a world-renowned geological team, funding in place, and shareholders such as Eric Sprott, SK Mining is on the cusp of a world-class discovery. Go to skmining.com to subscribe for updates. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times Good Times. Uh, I'm really happy to tell you that two of my friends from the Metals Investor Forum, Gwen Press and Eric Coffin, are with me to share some of their thoughts about the junior exploration markets and uh, hopefully a couple of their favorite stories that they're going to be talking about uh, in Vancouver at the Metals Investor Forum. We'll be meeting there. As I noted earlier in the show, for the first time, we're going to be meeting live in person uh, since uh, this is the first time since March 2020 when we met in uh, in Toronto at the PDAC uh, Metals Investor Forum. So it's going to be great uh, to meet up in person again, and you need to go to the Metals Investor Forum uh, website, metalsinvestorforum.com, to sign up uh, either to attend in person, and it will be live virtually as well this time. So uh, I hope you all take the uh, opportunity to tune in and, and catch up with some of the uh, newsletter writers' favorite stories. Um Gwen and Eric, thank you so much for joining me again. Happy to come on. Thanks for having us, Jay. (laughs) It's really good to have both of you with me. And um, it's, uh, well, Gwen is uh, known as the Resource Maven and uh, resourcemavens.ca for her work. You can sign up for her letter there, learn more about what she does. And uh, with Eric, uh, it's hraadvisory.com. All right, so... Well, thanks for joining us, and, and I'm really glad that you could be with us today to sort of give us your thoughts about the markets. Maybe uh, starting with you, Eric, what are, uh, what are your thoughts about the silver and gold markets? I think a lot of us are pretty, are, are pretty um, annoyed, to say, uh, put it one way anyway, in terms of everything else is going up except gold and silver, and we're having this incredible surge of inflation and wage inflation like we haven't seen, I would argue, since the 1970s almost. Uh, but what are your thoughts? Well, I mean, as the old saying goes, you're not paranoid if they really are out to get you, which apparently they are in, in the case of people who buy gold and silver stock. I, I think we've got this weird dichotomy right now, and I think I think tomorrow is actually going to be very telling. So everybody should be marking 11 o'clock Pacific, uh, Wednesday, November 3rd on their calendar, because that's the next Fed announcement. My personal expectation is they are going to announce taper tomorrow. I don't know what the timeline will be, but the, the bond market seems to think they'll be done tapering by the middle of next year. 
I'm what I'm hoping for is sort of a buy on news after a couple of months of sell on rumor. Mm-hmm. We're in this weird situation where you've got very negative real interest rates because of inflation, but you do get these inflection points where traders in the gold market especially seem to worry about is that gap going to widen or or narrow. And if they're worried that the Fed's going to get aggressive, they're worried that the negative rates are going to get less negative and they don't, they get paranoid and sell. The truth mm-hmm. is we are in a macro environment where gold should perform and silver and commodities in general, actually, should mm-hmm. perform quite well like they did in the 70s. I'm not sure I'm ready to call it stagflation, but I don't see how we don't have negative rates for years, honestly. I just, I just don't see how the Fed gets out of the corner it's painted itself into, honestly. Yeah, it seems very difficult. I uh, don't know. As Daniel DiMartino Booth said, uh, the Fed can't raise rates into a declining economy, but at the same time, they can't not raise rates. So um, between a rock and a hard place. Gwen, your thoughts on, on gold and silver or whatever else you want to talk about? <laughs> How long have you got? Um, <laughs> I mean, I, I agree with what you guys just said. I, I I certainly expect them to announce a taper tomorrow. Uh, we'll see what the reaction is to that. As Eric points to, the bond market has um, has voiced their opinion on that. They think it's happening. Um, but there is also this uh, mixed messaging in in the yield curve. And I think it's partly because, you know, last time they tried to, you know, cut back on bond purchasing, the market threw a fit and they had to walk it back. And sure, mm-hmm. every, time, every, every instance is different. And last time they were raising rates and then did the taper. And this time, I guess they're doing it the other way around because they can't raise rates. Um, mm-hmm. So who knows exactly what the what the response will be. But I don't think the market's going to take it lying down. I mean, the market is all about, they learned last time in 2018, well, if we just throw a fit, then mm-hmm. they'll step it back and we can get all the accommodation that we need to continue this endless bull market. So why would mm-hmm. they not try that again, right? And the Fed's right. unspoken mandate is now to support the stock market, which leads mm-hmm. to the whole other thing, which is that we have these incredibly high valuations in the broad market, and mm-hmm. that is detracting interest from all tangible stuff, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Value stocks are not doing what growth stocks are. And that's mm-hmm. because I used to say that one of the things I loved about being a a metals and mining investor is because we're dealing with things you can put your hands on, right? It's real. Gold is silver. Copper is or co- gold, yeah. is silver. gold is real. Copper is real. You can put your hands on it. And the h- harsh irony is that now it's almost like we get knocked for dealing with things that are real. Yeah. Instead, people want to buy Shiba Inu, you know, bitcoins, <laughs> that, and like it's yeah. all they just want to buy spe- speculation. How that all comes to be, I don't know, but I do expect a bit of it. What's that? What's that? Eric? They've got an MFP for that, Gwen. I do think there'll be a bit of a tantrum um, because of whatever tightening comes. Um, inflation, they're not calling it transitory anymore, but it is very structural. Like in term, It's all about, you know, um, stockpile, or not stockpile, bottlenecks. We're in a weird place, um, but I think there's going to be a tantrum. I think they're going to have to step back on tightening uh easing any concerns that the market has about real rates becoming less negative. And at some point that just has to work for gold and silver. And then mm-hmm. adding to it, I really think we're set up for a strong commodities market as a whole because of inflation and demand in an electrifying world. So I think it's going to work. Just the timing is very hard to predict precisely yeah. because things are pretty strange right now. Yeah. Well, you mentioned, uh, Gwen, that the, the – 
you know, the, all these overvaluations, a bubble, I think you could, a lot of people certainly think of the equity prices, bond prices for sure, uh, we're in bubble territory, uh, and yet the mm-hmm. one sector that is doing very well, the gold and silver miners, it was brought out uh, by Crescat Capital recently that they were the only non-financial sector in the uh, and the S&P 500 is gold and silver miners that had inflation-adjusted positive free cash flow. So, you know, it's, it's really, uh, and all the other sectors are sucking wind. The worst was utilities, uh, real estate down at the bottom, healthcare, everything else oh. in the system. Everything was negative um, in, in tr- after you adjust for inflation, uh, except the gold and silver miners. Uh, and, and, and this comes after a period of time, we had a long period of time in which the gold miners weren't doing very well. So maybe Eric, I'd like to ask you, what do you think, uh, accounts for the strong profits of the senior miners in the gold and silver sector, and why do you think the share prices aren't really responding? Or maybe they, maybe they are. I'm not sure. I haven't kept up with the majors that much. I mean, they've responded some, but not as much as people hoped. I think when most of the miners <clears throat> came out with their Q3, uh, one one thing that I think spooked people a little, although it maybe shouldn't have been as big a surprise as it was, that since everybody else is talking about it, is you know they they were talking about cost pressures, uh, and that took some of the shine off of things. I mean, they'd had a mm-hmm. bit of a rally, not a huge one, a bit of a rally from the end of September until the Q3 stuff came out. But almost without exception, they were all noting about cost pressures, and and the mining sector has always been a sector that is prone to that, just because it's just the nature of the mining business where mines are. Um, mm-hmm. You can't get away from dealing with a lot of transportation costs because you're, you're mm-hmm. usually shipping things over long distance into mine sites. But I, I think that said, you know, like you like you said, it's one of the few inflation-adjusted cash flow positive sectors out there, and I, and I think mm-hmm. that that story is going to improve. Plus, the miner, I think people outside the sector have, don't realize how much Miners to clean up the balance sheet. I mean, gold miners were kind of famous for having terrible balance sheets, but mm-hmm. you know, those days are over. Uh, right. Most of these guys have paid their debt. Well, a lot of them are actually debt free, and they've got huge amounts of cash, like huge amounts of cash. Uh, I think everyone's waiting to see the M and A wave, which you know, there's been some, but there hasn't been huge amounts of it. But you know, much much like much like gold and silver having their day again, I think the M and A wave is going to have a day again before too much longer because they're all running into reserve edition problems and they all have a lot of money. There's a lot of, I think we'll see a lot of probably M&A in late 2022. There's a lot of companies that are getting to the point like the great bears of the world where they'll have numbers out there and I just think, I think these big guys will start pulling the trigger. Uh, It would certainly seem so and I mean we've seen a decline in production, uh, not in production, new discoveries very dramatically over the last number of years. So I'm wondering if that might be part of the reason that the gold miners are showing good profits is that they're not, you know, they're not getting excited and overpaying for for deposits. But uh, as you say, they have money now, which leads me then, I think you just mentioned Great Bear, which certainly comes to mind as one of those targets. But uh, maybe, Gwen, uh, talk about a couple of your favorite exploration stories uh, and maybe who you're you're bringing to uh, to the Metals Investor Forum. For sure, and uh, just sort of to continue with the theme that you're talking about, um, uh-huh. it, which is M&A or the lack thereof, I mean, I certainly think that 
management teams of majors are very gun-shy on M&A because they screwed it up so badly the last time around, so I think they're very hesitant on that. Um, the irony is they're not getting rewarded very much in the market for um, being careful with their money this time instead of not yeah. careful with it. So it's sort of a rock and a hard place for them. At some point, they will have to start buying again um, because you can't stay big if you don't have new projects. And so I think, and there have been deals, and I think they will continue, um, but we're certainly still seeing a focus on um, dividends and share buybacks and, you know, being in net cash, which is, like you say, anomalous across the stock market. Uh, but that's where miners are, not just gold miners. I mean, Freeport Macmoran announced an incredible share buyback and dividend program just today. They're sending mm. out 80% of adjusted free cash flow in dividends. Wow. It's, it's amazing. Mm. Um, yeah, if you want to buy just on dividends and, and you know, balance sheets, then miners are a great place to be. But again, oh. not rampant speculation. So it's a different game than most investors seem to be playing right now. Um, as for projects or companies that I like um, that are coming to the Metals Investor Forum, um, one that fits this conversation, I think, is Integra. I mean, Integra is... Um, I wrote about them just last week, and what I said is, you know, they've done this before. They had Integra Gold, which had a great project in Quebec. They just took the steps that were needed to demonstrate it could be a good mine, and they got taken out for it. They did that through a really terrible market, but they just kept stepping forward because this is a team that's focused on creating a real asset. I think that that is exactly what they're doing again at the Delamar Project in Idaho. Great jurisdiction. People love Idaho these days. And they're just stepping this thing forward. Do, demonstrating that it has all of the things that you need for it to be a great asset. They did a PEA, gosh, 16 months ago, 18 months ago. Um, they will soon, I think in the next month, come out with a PFS for a dramatically larger project. Um, I won't mm. get into the details of how and why, but it's going to be a much larger project. I think it's going to put it in a different category in terms of how it is viewed in the market because it will be so much bigger. And they continue to make a bunch of new discoveries, uh, high-grade stuff below the pit that they've outlined, other targets around. So I think Integra, the market, like with a lot of developers, hasn't been paying much attention to it. Its its share price is low right now, um, but it's the kind of project that I think once interest returns to the space, I think Integra is the kind of asset that will get a bunch of attention. Um, I'll quickly mention two others. Banyan um, is another one that I really like. They are exploring in Yukon. but what I like is that this is a demonstration. They have a million ounces already. I think that they are wrapped. They're reliably and efficiently marching their way to two million ounces uh, at near in near surface. You know, gold that's very consistent um, and where there's lots of opportunity to keep growing it. It sits between two operating mines. It is higher grade than the operating mine next door. Um, so it's just a. Uh, uh, an exploration play that I, where I think the risk is fairly minimal, um, but the upside could be quite significant if the market decides um, to start rewarding, you know, the existence of two million economic-looking ounces in a good jurisdiction mm-hmm. on a road. Um, and then I have to throw in a uranium pick because I think uranium is an exciting space. I won't get into that because I would take up more than the rest of your show to do so. Um, <laughs> and it's a bit of a side a side angle uranium pick, mm-hmm. which is Val or. VO is the ticker in on the venture exchange. If you look them up, they look like they're a PGE company, Platinum Group company, and they are. They have a PGE project in Brazil. That is a good asset. But they pivoted to that when uranium was detested and they couldn't raise money and there was no point progressing the uranium asset that they have in northern Canada. Um, uranium is back, so they are currently raising $9 million to go back to work on their uranium asset. You know, the, the market hasn't paid a huge amount of attention. It has. But um, I think it's a little bit of a, 
a sideline way into uranium. Um, and I think that there's a lot of upside potential at that Angulac project in northern Canada. So if you're interested in uranium, um, yeah, get in touch or, or ask me about it or, or check out Valor amongst some of my other uranium picks. And, of course, all three of those companies will be at the Metals Investor Forum, I believe, Gwen, so people can learn a lot more about them if they, if they either go or, or watch, the, watch the show. Absolutely. All right. Eric, uh, you mentioned Great Bear, and I was really delighted to see yeah. that you are inviting them to the, uh, to the show. Um, you know, certainly one that I've loved, and uh, thanks to Gwen. I think, Gwen, uh, kudos to you because you were the one that turned me on to it early on and did very well with it, and so did my subscribers. Uh, but, but talk to us, Eric, about I would think they would be one obvious M&A target. Yeah, I mean, great Bear's. Scraper is an obvious one. I mean, it's they've got a billion dollar market cap, so it's not. Uh, it, I'm not expecting a ten bagger or anything, but I. But I, it's to me, it's just it's probably the most obvious takeover candidate out there. I don't think that happens until they get a resource and maybe a PEA out. Um, I'm hoping to get Chris to clarify the PEA timing because I would I would think they probably started work on that. They don't they don't need to finish the resource to start the PEA. I, I think it'll be important for people to understand what they're trying to do here. Uh, I you know my expectations are several million ounces in initial resource. Do I think there's a lot more than that? Yeah, but I think what they're going to try to do is show people a very very high uh, very high return, very high margin open pitable deposited LP and they'll worry about the other stuff later. Mm-hmm. Uh, basically what I'm saying is I think even though maybe coming in six, seven, eight million ounces, the, I think the MPV on this thing is going to be silly. Like if, I'm, I'm honestly expecting a couple of billion in terms of MPV <laughs> range. So there's, there's still, and that's, you know, they're nowhere near done drilling. It's going to take, it'll take 20 years to drill that thing off. Uh, yeah. I don't really think Chris wants to drill it for 20 years. <laughs> I, think he, I think he'd rather <laughs> go and buy it for a really good price and, and not have to worry about that stuff. Um, I'm they sure. will be at NIF with me very quickly. I'll mention two others, Pan Global, yeah. great story, copper stock in Spain. Love the management team. They've done all the right things. They've hit on every hole. It's one of those slightly under the radar ones because you have to understand the, the the infrastructure and everything to understand how good the economics could be. But more to the point, any literally any day now, they'll get the project next door. Um, they'll get the concession from the government, the applications, everything's done. They're just literally waiting for somebody to stamp a piece of paper. That that concession next door has six to eight other targets that look exactly the same as Romana, which is what they've been drilling for the last two years. I, I, I think that has room to get quite large. And given the location, uh, I, it's another one of those ones where I don't think that I'd be surprised if that company's around in two or three years. I think somebody takes it out, um, and I think they take it out a lot harder than where it's trading now. And, and a third one, I'll just super fast Alpha Light Mining. Uh, mm-hmm. It's they're in production. They've done a great job getting their costs down at their Campo Morado project. Um, there, I was shocked at how low their ISC was last quarter. It was like seventy-seven cents a pound on zinc. But the thing to watch for for that is two things. One. They will be bringing a gold mine, a second mine into production over the next two to four months. Um, it should start kicking over in a, probably late this year, but it'll end a Q1 to get it up to 1,000 tons a day. But also, and I keep harping on this with subscribers, they're doing these MET tests, and if they can find a system, and they think they can based on initial results, to improve gold and silver recovery, which has always been difficult to Campo Morado, up to even 60 70%, which isn't great globally, but 
in terms of Campo Morado, you're talking about adding like 50 to 100 bucks a ton. Like it's not minor. Like it's it's a really, mm-hmm. really big deal if they pull that off. Mm. All right. Very exciting stories. And uh, all the reason in the world for uh, folks uh, listening to this show to, to go to Metals Investor Forum, sign up for the show, go uh, go to the project in person if possible. If not, it's going to be live uh, on the Internet. So go to metalsinvestorforum.com, sign up, and um, you'll hear more from Eric and Gwen and other newsletter writers, including yours truly in terms of our uh, favorite stocks. All right. Well, thank you, both of you, for uh, for joining me today, and we'll look forward to seeing you in Vancouver in, a, in just a few days from now. Okay. All right. And just... So people know yep. if they're hesitant, we chose the location for this one, so there's tons of square footage. So if you don't want people in your face, you there's lots of room for people to move around and not be in each other's way if they don't want to be. Right. That's a the Marriott Hotel. What is it? It's over on the other yeah, side of town. I know. Yeah. yeah. Plenty of room there. That's a, a spacious uh, environment, so people can can distance if they feel uncomfortable. All right. Well, thanks both of you for joining me again. Great to have you. Okay. okay. Thanks, thanks, Jay. All righty. Folks, uh, don't go away. We have to go to break, but we'll be right back with John Rubino. He's going to talk about various things, the mining companies, as well as wages and strikes and all kinds of fun things that are going on now, lifting prices of everything. Not so much fun if you have to put food on the table. Uh, We'll be right back with John Rubino. Lion One Metals is focused on high-grade gold in Fiji, led by legendary Canadian financier Walter Barakoff. Lion One is permitted for production and drilling for discoveries in one of the most exciting high-grade gold projects in the prolific South Pacific Ring of Fire. Lion One trades on the TSX Venture Exchange under the symbol LIO and on the OTCQX under the symbol LOMLF. Go to our website at liononemetals.com for more information about Lion One Metals and high-grade gold in Fiji. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times and Good Times. It's really good to have John Rubino with us once again. Uh, it's dollarcollapse.com for John's excellent website. Uh, he writes some things there himself, but he also has a lot of great, um, a lot of great material from other writers. And uh, one of my favorite things uh, that he provides is his top ten videos of the week. I seldom have time to watch all of them. Um, hardly get a chance to watch more than one or two of them, but they're always excellent. There's lots of great material at dollarcollapse.com. Thanks for joining me again, John. Hey, Jay. Good to be back. Yeah, you had something in the uh, top ten list this week. Oh, I did. Your, your I, Alistair McLeod interview. Oh, well, Alistair is always good, and he's going to be with me in a couple of weeks again. Uh, so, yeah, we have a lot of great guests like yourself, and, and um, well, there's a lot of great people out there, and it's a lot of fun. 
listening to what other people have to say, uh, that's for sure. And uh, so let's start with what you have to say today, John. And um, I'd like to talk about an article that you recently written, you recently wrote called Remember Strikes. Well, uh, you know, I'm a little older than you are, John, but I remember very well as a young adult the strikes that were going on in the 70s. Uh, and it was very, I mean, these were, the 1970s were a very difficult time. We had rising inflation, very significant, double-digit double inflation that could have been heading to something much worse. It was choked off by Paul Volcker in 1980. Uh, but talk to us a little bit about your article, Remember Strikes. I mean, we're starting to see a large number of strikes again taking place. And I would also argue, uh, let's say, slowdowns, work slowdowns. We had to wait a week for our garbage to get picked up here in New York City. I think a lot of people protesting uh, the forced vaccinations and so forth. It's really a big deal. Uh, but maybe just sort of give our listeners a, um, the picture of, of your article, Remember Strikes. Well, Jay, you and I grew up in, in a very different time um, in terms of labor and mm-hmm. versus capital and everything. There was a much better balance back then. There, yeah. there was a you know, shortage of good workers and companies had to pay up for them. And because of that, um, the workers were able to bargain collectively. And if they had to, to go on strike, you know, I, I was a member of the United Steelworkers Union. Yes, I learned that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and we went on strike one time, you know, so it was, it was that kind of a world. And today, you know, how many millennials do you think are union members and have, have gone on a successful strike? Very few, right? Uh, because the, the uh, power has shifted because of globalization mm-hmm. away from labor and towards capital. And, um, you know, instead of being benevolent aristocrats the uh, the guys who own the factories and the robots and everything uh, have been uh, you know like more like brutal dictators they basically shut down factories in the um, in the US and most of the rest of the developed world shifted that work to um, places where uh, workers make a buck an hour or whatever and you know there are no real environmental restrictions or safety restrictions or anything and, and that took the power away from today's workers so they, they no longer have the ability to bargain or they until very recently they didn't have the ability to bargain for better pay or better working conditions uh, so the rich got richer and richer and everybody else either stayed the same or got poorer, you know, the bottom 50% of this country economically is less well off mm-hmm. than they were 40 years ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and, you know, you can trace a lot of our current troubles to that um, growing disparity between the rich and the poor. Now, it's starting to shift back the other way, finally, at long last, you know, because you, you really can't have, um, have the trend of the rich getting richer continue forever because the poor outnumber them 10 to one, you know? And so eventually the the pendulum has to swing back the other way and it's starting to now, you know, you see all these um, help wanted signs everywhere you look. And now McDonald's apparently has set their minimum wage for burger flippers at $21 an hour. Incredible. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that is basically permanent. You're not going to see them go, you know, next year, say, "Oops, we're going to move you back down to twelve bucks an hour." That no. that's not the way things work. Um, so that's a very good thing, in a lot of ways, because it means the uh, you know the people who work with their hands, which is the vast majority of the country, are getting some back that had been taken from them over the the past few decades. And that, you know, it's a good thing, but it's also a very complicated thing economically because. Um, the Fed, when it's calculating inflation, does not count stocks, bonds, and real estate. Those things can go up 
um, to infinity, and the Fed doesn't count that as inflation because those are the things that are owned by the rich. Therefore, it's yeah. a good thing when they go up. <laughs> yeah. But wages going up sends up a red, red flag for the Fed. They consider that to be inflation, and they consider it to be a signal that they need to tighten. And we're kind of there now. The Fed is meeting this week. They're uh, apparently sending out signals that they're at least going to start tapering. In other words, uh, they're going to start shrinking their balance sheet to get rid of all the assets that they bought with newly created currency over the last um, few years. Uh, and that they're looking at raising interest rates pretty soon. So that's going to, well, if history is any kind of a guide, that will give us extreme financial market volatility going forward. Mm -hmm. So it's not clear how long the trend of uh, workers being able to demand higher wages will last if we have a giant equities bear market, for instance, or mm -hmm. the bond market flakes out. So, so things get very complicated very soon, I think. Yeah, they do. And uh, this reminds me, though, of a conversation that Daniel D. Martino Booth had with uh, Adam Taggart in an interview that I think I mentioned to you. And then I noticed today uh, on your website, uh, you have another article, Another Effect of Rising Wages. Uh, and subtitle here, well, I see another part of this article. I think it's part of this article. Yeah, it is. McDonald's enters a strategic partnership with IBM to automate drive-through lanes. So, I mean, are we looking at Danielle DiMartino Booth is saying, well, a lot of people just think that uh, the corporation is going to roll over and just pay these people whatever they want. She says it doesn't work that way, that they are already spending huge amounts of money for you know, IT and AI, artificial intelligence, and automation of various kinds to eliminate the workers. So maybe the first time it was done by sending jobs overseas to, to poor countries, and now maybe it's going to be done by robots and other sort of automated technologies that are emerging. Yes. Well, that's another effect of rising wages. <laughs> you know, it, it'll yeah. lead the Fed to raise interest rates, and it also leads companies to try to automate as much work as possible when the cost of that work is going up um, uh, in their human workforce. Uh, and, you know, we'll definitely see that. See, things were going to be automated in any event. Robots yes. were going yes. to do most of the repetitive work eventually. Mm -hmm. But to the extent that wages are going up, that accelerates the process. So, yeah, um, we'll, we'll see, at least for the next few years, companies will pay whatever they have to to do their business and get the orders out the door, right? But they're, um, they're not going to pay really high wages any longer than they have to if they can automate a lot of this stuff. And, and you know, artificial intelligence and robotics have reached the point where a lot of stuff can be done that couldn't be done before. You know, look at those videos of the dancing robots from Boston oh, Dynamics. Those things are terrifying. I mean, they're, they're really cute, but... Um, you know, would you want to get into a fight with something like that? Something that um, agile and that strong? No. And so that's our future. You know, these things, uh, that's the future of warfare for sure. And it's the future of a lot of basic industry as well. Mm -hmm. And uh, see, you know, it's just so interesting what's happening now because we have really low birth rates in the U.S. And one yeah. group of economists are terrified that there won't be enough workers to support all the retirees in the future. At the same time, we've got automation accelerating like this, and another group of economists are terrified that there won't be enough jobs for what workers remain. And, and so who knows how this it plays out exactly, but uh, you know, it could be in an ideal world, we find a perfect balance where lower birth rates mean fewer workers, but there are exactly enough jobs left over that the robots aren't doing 
for those people. I doubt if it works out that way, but yeah. Well, we can hope, but I I could just uh, just mention that uh, over the lunch hour, uh, Henry Kissinger was on Neil Cavuto talking about. Uh, I guess he's written a book about this, and he's very very worried about what it's going to do to the human race in terms of its uh, its you know it's, it's moving so fast. Uh, technology is growing almost exponentially. That the, the knowledge and the power of technology, and his concern is that the human humans may lose autonomy to robots. And of course, that's a subject for another for another day. But uh, fascinating subject. And uh, I mean, Henry Kissinger has got to be getting up in the years. I don't know exactly how old he was. He was off, his age is showing, but he's still uh, obviously a brilliant mind, like him or not. And uh, uh, just expressing those concerns. And uh, but in any event, um, so we have we have rising inflation, no doubt about it. What do you think the Fed is going to do? Eric Coffin was saying a little bit ago that people really need to be watching. I guess it's Thursday, um, or is it Wednesday? The Fed is going to be coming out. It's usually Wednesday. Yeah, but, so it must uh, be I this Wednesday. Yeah, Wednesday, Eric's at 11 o'clock Pacific, so that's uh, 2 o'clock. It's uh, about right, I guess. So I guess they're going. Uh, we'll, we'll be listening to um, – he's expecting they're going to announce some tapering. But how long can this tapering go, John, before – I mean, it's like you say, volatility, and the people that run the world own stocks. I don't know. Well, that's really the $100 trillion question, isn't it? How, how far can they go this time? Because they've tried to do this a couple of times in the past, right? Mm-hmm. They start to raise interest rates, or at least they start to um, let their balance sheet run off a bit. And the uh, in, in every case in the past, the stock market has just totally blown up on them. And then the Fed panics and, and takes it all back and says, oh, you know, did, did we say we were going to tighten? Never mind. We're actually going to cut interest rates, and mm-hmm. you won't have to. See, I think this time around is the time when people realize that that's a permanent state of affairs, that there's yes. literally nothing the Fed can do to rein in inflation without blowing up the financial system, and they don't want to do that. So we're going to have to live with accelerating inflation, official inflation, as it's defined by the government and uh, and by individuals. You know, we've all, always had inflation over the last few decades, but it's been narrowly confined to stocks, bonds, and real estate. Now it's broadening out to everything else. Um, and so we're going to have to live with it. So will people then start acting accordingly? I, I think they probably will. And I think we get something like the 1970s, only much, much bigger, because we were pretty healthy financially back in the 1970s. Compared are, to now. Oh, we're emphatically not financially healthy right now, which means um, any kind of um, crisis in the financial markets now <clears throat> risks um, metastasizing into a, a hyperinflation or a global depression. And the guys in charge of monetary policy know that, but they don't know what to do. You know, they, they don't have the uh, 20% interest rates that Paul Volcker had back in the day to fix things. Mm-hmm. But they also understand that runaway inflation leads to the same place, right? It leads to a huge crash. And uh, it, it seems that we're at the point now where that's really our choice. And it just remains for people to figure it out and for that be, to become the meme, you know, the, the general consensus out there that there is no fix and we're heading off a cliff one way or another and what are you going to do? You know, and that's in the 1970s, that's when gold and silver really took off. Um, you know, gold and silver were, were kind of um, choppy, but not all, up all that much mid-decade in the 1970s. Yeah. Uh, and they made their gigantic moves, these, these epic 
um, parabolic runs in the mm -hmm. last couple of years of the decade. That's mm -hmm. when people finally accepted that inflation was a real thing and it wasn't going away. Right. Um, so we're headed for something like that, I think. I think we are. The difference, as you pointed out, is that then we were strong enough economically. I mean, I don't know what our uh, debt to GDP, the federal de debt to GDP or our total debt to GDP was much, much, much lower. I mean, now we're over 100 Hundred percent. I I don't know. What do you have any idea? I can't remember without checking. But it was less than sixty percent. I think. Oh, it was, it was minuscule compared to today. Thirty-five yeah. or forty percent or something like that. And now we're that, over. That, that's just government debt. We have all kinds yeah. of other debt that right. has skyrocketed right. too. So total debt, right. if you especially if you include derivatives, well, are orders of magnitude higher than back then. So. Well, speaking of derivatives, I, I, I just wonder to what extent the derivative markets and Alistair McLeod has talked about Basel III and, uh, you know, January 3rd, I think it goes into effect in, uh, for everyone, finally. Uh, and his thinking is that that's going to reduce the derivative markets very dramatically and gold and silver, which has been a, a down, probably a downward effect on those prices. And it will also affect, I think, other commodities where balance, where banks are no longer allowed to put those derivatives on their asset side of their balance sheet. So we'll see about that. But um, yeah, it's just going to be interesting. And what are your thoughts about gold? Because we, we're just not really seeing gold rise with the other uh, prices, uh, other commodities even, in terms of, um, you know, the money that's being created. Well, the, the vast majority of people still believe the Fed that this is transitory, you know, that our, our current troubles are kind of uh, something that will pass through yeah. and next year things will go back to normal. Uh, gold and silver will respond when people realize that that's not the case, mm -hmm. you know, like six months from now or, what, or maybe tomorrow, who knows. Um, people will realize that uh, that this is just the new reality and they'll be looking around for inflation hedges and safe haven assets, yada, yada, and gold and silver always do well in times like that. So the parabolic move will come and as boring as it is now, this is still a really good time for the gold miners because gold is high enough, even though it's not spiking, it's, it's high enough to generate lots of free cash flow for the big mining mm -hmm. companies. Mm -hmm. So this is actually a good time for precious metals investors if you're picking the uh, the highest quality big gold miners, which will generate tons of free cash, and the best quality juniors, which will be bought out with that free cash at some point in the next few years. So all you really need to make money in the gold stock market is patience at this point. Yeah, yeah, patience sometimes hard to come by when you look at Bitcoin going up as it is and some of these other things. So you think maybe the time will come when people say, well, maybe Bitcoin doesn't really have the value we know for sure that gold and silver is uh, is tangible. We can pick it up. Um, we can use it. I mean, even a very interesting article recently in Venezuela where they're starting to use, in Bloomberg was had this article where they're starting to use actual people going out in the mines and or into the streams and picking up flakes of gold and using it to stay alive. I mean, it really is still true, even though it's hard for us to imagine in an advanced economy like the United States. Uh, but yeah, do you th so do you think that maybe eventually, sooner or later, people realize maybe Bitcoin doesn't really have any value? Well, the cryptocurrency market is the dot-coms of the 1990s. Think of them that mm -hmm. way. You know, yeah, they're, for they're, sure. they're just rocketing and every new one that comes out goes way up. And you know, a few of the dot-com companies survived and thrived. Amazon.com, for instance. Um, so it could be that the best cryptos end up being very successful versions of whatever it is they are going forward and most of the, the little um, you know 
um, no-name coins end up failing, just like in the dot-com. So that that's possible. But, uh, you know, bubble markets are always the thing you look at and think, oh, my God, whatever I have isn't as much up as much as this, you know. But then when the bubble bursts, those things go back down. Um, so it's completely possible that most of the cryptos can go down by 90% in the next big market crash. Uh, highly unlikely that that'll happen with gold and silver. You know, there'll be islands of stability in a sea of chaos. Um, and, uh, you know, cryptos may have a, a big role in the world going forward. That remains to be seen. They're very interesting. But uh, I, I don't think they preclude gold and silver. You know, you definitely want something that's physical when yeah. things really get crazy. And only gold and silver are physical forms of money. All right. We're just about out of time here, but a couple of other topics, maybe quickly. Uh, Australia, um, interest rates, bond rates are rising very dramatically. Do you think the Reserve Bank of Australia is just letting it happen? Or what do you think is going on there? That's what they did. They just stood back and didn't try to, to depress an interest rate. It was either the three or the four-year note, I forget, or two or three. One of those, kind of a medium short-term note. But as soon as the central bank did not intervene, the interest rates spiked. Mm-hmm. And we're seeing that in a lot of countries. You know, the Canadian five-year is up, uh, the yield is up from 0.4% to 1.5% just this year. And mm-hmm. lots of other countries are seeing their interest rates spike. So wow. uh, that could be our future right there. Well, and another topic we're not going to have time for are the elections in, um, in Virginia and New Jersey and elsewhere. Uh, we'll have to leave that for another time after we analyze the results and see what it might mean, John. We would like to have you back on to talk about that perhaps sometime in the near future. So uh, we'll, we'll have to leave it go at that for now. Thank you so much, John, for being with us once again. Always a pleasure having you. Uh, folks, next week we're going to have Lynn Alden with us and uh, Michael Oliver returns. Until then, goodbye and God's blessings to you. Thank you again for listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor. Please join us again next Tuesday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Labrador Gold is an exploration company focused on its flagship Kingsway project located in central Newfoundland Gold District. Labrador Gold's first phase drilling program has successfully identified high-grade gold mineralization, including a 3.6-meter intercept, grading 20.6 grams per ton gold, and 1.85 meters, grading 50.38 gram per ton gold. The company has approximately $35 million in the treasury and is led by a world-class team of CEO Roger Moss and technical advisors Sean Ryan and Quentin Henney.